Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Welcome back. Hey, hey, hey. I like can't remember the Welcome Back Cotter song. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you even know that. That's so far before your time. (laughs) TV Land or Nick at Night or whatever it was. You're an old soul pop culturally well that's also having at the time what would have been considered old parents yeah for the 80s yeah (laughs) and 90s i mean even today a little bit so there was lots of i love lucy (laughs) lots of dragnet and westerns Mm -hmm. i mean i think also just being from the sticks where there wasn't a lot to do but watch old tv too right yeah and now that friends is considered old which is crazy and i mean it is by the standards that we used when we were young to determine if things were old in fact it's even older than what i would have considered old Uh uh-huh when i was young well now they're rebooting that 90s show which (sighs) is the continuation of that 70s show with the same parents and i think grandkids hanging out in the basement I mean, it makes sense, but it doesn't also. Like the end of the 90s being like well over 20 years ago is wild. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. My 30th college reunion is in two years. Like that's so fucked up. That doesn't even make any sense at all. Oh, now I'm like trying to calculate the math of high school. Not that I would ever go back. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I am on paper successful as it is, but I would need to be mega successful for it to be worth my time to go, like, rub it in their faces. (laughs) I went to... So I went to two different high schools, one in Rhode Island and one in Missouri, and I went to my 10th reunion in Rhode Island... And it was a mess. I was married to my first husband. I got so shit-faced. It was embarrassing. And then I went to my 25th high school, or was it 20th? Anyway, no, I think it was 20th. Yeah, 20th. That's how old I am. I can't even remember. 20th reunion in Missouri. And yeah, it was fine. I mean, I already keep in touch with everyone who I would ever want to keep in touch with from, from there. So it was like good to see them in person and then that was it i keep in touch with exactly zero people from high school what about your best friend from home we went to different high schools oh okay well that makes sense i mean i'm sure some of them are fine people and like i have some instagram connections but like in terms of actually speaking to someone from high school it's like no I mean, the thing that I find so funny, and this is a big point of pride, which is why I'm mentioning it, even though it has nothing to do with anything, is that all of my friends who I still keep in touch with from Missouri all ended up being Democrats and or gay. Like, that was my group. And I didn't know, like, this is the 80s. Nobody was out in high school in Missouri in the 80s. So it wasn't like I handpicked everybody. It was just the people who I clicked with are the same people who I would click with today, you know? 
mm-hmm. and like nobody outed themselves as a Democrat <laughs> in Missouri in the eighties either. It was just, I don't know. I think that's so wild. Like they say that you don't change that much from when you're a kid to when you grow up. And to me, that's just a little piece of anecdotal evidence that that is true. I know they've changed, but I'll like forever remember being on like a gifted class field trip in New Orleans, like sitting around with like my closest high school friends as they all discussed how bad gay marriage is no. <laughs> or would be. Really? Oh, yeah. Religious Ugh. conservatives. I'm sure that a lot of them are like pro gay people. Mm-hmm. now like that's just who we were raised to be at that time yeah yeah but I'm just living like a fun gay life and they've all got children living in Mississippi <laughs> it's just like no not not for me <laughs> I mean our like 10 or 15 year high school reunion they planned it to be like family friendly and bring your kids I was just like hell no that defeats the purpose of getting together and getting really really drunk yeah it's like family barbecue at the beach uh bowling alley it's just like there's just no way in hell i'm gonna spend eight hundred dollars to fly to mississippi (laughs) and hang out with these people i don't speak to right and their children oh yeah that's awful i mean that's designed though for the people who still live there right totally and i hope they had fun yeah we're not knocking people you do you people who we grew up with oh they're totally random but i saw something so funny Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was a book and they had like you know a poll quote from a review or whatever and it was like possibly the best american novel dot 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 since old man in the sea or maybe even moby dick (laughs) and then somebody pulled up and they're like if you're ever worried that you're promoting yourself too hard look at this (laughs) and the actual quote was like possibly the greatest american novel about fishing (laughs) since old man in the sea or maybe moby dick shut up (laughs) that makes a lot more sense oh my god the dot 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 it's dangerous yeah that ellipses you can really uh turn some things around totally holy shit the greatest american novel about fishing like how many are there i mean there's probably a shocking number of american novels about fishing but still how many great ones and that's if we agree that those two are great which i'm not even prepared to do right now I do believe those are both great books. <laughs> White man. Moby Dick is queer history. <laughs> and more people need to understand that. It's actually a good book. And it's very gay in text and subtext. Well, somebody just needs to make a version that takes out all the fucking pages about the sea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, lists and lists of whale species aside. I just want the highlights. Like, I don't need four paragraphs about the color of the sea. Just, like, give me the highlights. They do that with with sports ball games now. 
you can just watch like, you know, it's cut down by 50% and it's just the action. <laughs> well, like my review after I finally read War and Peace was like, <laughs> I wish they left out all the peace part. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't bad, but, like, the war part was so captivating and compelling. And the Mm -hmm. peace part was just, like, party after party after party with light politicking. (laughs) And I was like, let's get back to the war. I feel like, you know, we always joke how we're the same person. And now I'm, like, I just struck upon a metaphor that maybe you and I together are the novel war and peace. But you're the war part and I'm the peace part. (laughs) (laughs) this is my new working theory we did both choose gonzo last week (laughs) right i mean who would pick gonzo we should put this on our stories like and see who votes for gonzo (laughs) i would bet that the number is pretty low oh and then one thing that kind of connects us to the topic when bad movies do pull quotes And you can tell it's a good or a bad movie by the size of the attribution. (laughs) (laughs) When you can't even read who it was, uh, which recently Black Adam, it was huge text and literally like 0.3 font (laughs) attribution of who said it. (laughs) That's awesome. And who was it? It was like... Uh, Who knows? I couldn't read it. I don't know. Kirsten from Most Foul Podcast. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Or like with horror movies, which I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about today, it will all be like horror slash fan geek. And it'll be like every title card with a new quote. And it's still that same website <laughs> that they're quoting <laughs> the one person who liked the movie. Like one amazing review. So on that note... <laughs> Would you like to hear about the pop culture that the grotesque Sonny Bean legend has inspired? A thousand percent, yes. So this is an interesting one. Unlike the one hand, maybe it is kind of a smaller number of references as opposed to like huge ones. Mm -hmm. But the impact that they've made, especially in horror, Mm -hmm. is huge. Mm Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, we start with Wes Craven in the early 1970s. So his debut film, The Last House on the Left, came out in 72 to huge success. And he was looking for his next movie. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to leave the horror genre. Mm. Really? And yeah, he didn't want to get pigeonholed Mm -hmm. in the genre, uh, (laughs) which... He even made comments that the genre is restrictive. Mm -hmm. And Hollywood said, nope. (laughs) (laughs) On paper, he was a success at horror and producers refused to let him leave the genre. Wow. Which is another reason we're in nostalgia and superhero hell and Hollywood (laughs) culture right now. Yeah, yeah. But... Craven's friend, producer Peter Locke, was interested in financing a horror exploitation film. Mm. And Craven decided to write the project because money. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. He, he considered collaborating with Sean Cunningham on a horror children's film based on Hansel and Gretel. Mm. But Locke wanted the film to be more in the vein of The Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. So searching for a story to film, Craven began looking up 
quote, terrible things, end quote, (laughs) at the New York Public Library. Wow. So he was going through the library's forensics department, and he learned of the legend of Sonny Bean. So obviously, Kirsten told us all about that legend in the last episode. What interested Craven was how after they were arrested, they were tortured, quartered, burned, and hanged. Mm -hmm. So he saw the treatment of the Bean clan by supposedly civilized people as paralleling the clan's own savagery. Mm. So he decided to base his film on the legend. And folks, that is 1977's horror classic, The Hills Have Eyes. Mm. Written, directed, and edited by Wes Craven, (laughs) the film follows the Carters, a suburban family targeted by a family of cannibal savages after becoming stranded in the Nevada desert. Mm. So interestingly, according to Steve Palopoli of Metro Silicon Valley, the finished film still has featured elements of Hansel and Gretel, specifically its portrayal of people getting lost in the wilderness and setting a trap for their tormentors. So just an interesting tidbit. I never thought of that mm-hmm. watching the movie, but it's like, oh yeah, I guess Hansel and Gretel is a cannibal story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So that guy also noted that the witch from Hansel and Gretel and the villains in the movie specifically try to cannibalize children. Mm. So a bit of a full circle moment from his first idea to final product. Yeah. The Hills Have Eyes ultimately earned $25 million at the box office, and that was more money than The Last House on the Left. Yeah. So again, these are 1970s numbers. Yeah, that's a lot of money back then. It's not the billion dollars of today. So it even managed to break box office records at some individual theaters that it opened in. It wasn't a mega, mega financial hit, but it did really well for the time. So then fast forwarding to today, the movie is a cult classic. It was included in the book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, where the author Stephen Schneider said it, quote, Warrant's consideration as one of the richest and most perfectly realized films of Craven's career, end quote. Wow. Fangoria listed the film as one of its 13 greatest horror films of the 70s, while Film Journal International cited The Hills Have Eyes as a classic grindhouse feature. It was nominated for AFI's 100 Years, 100 Thrills. TV Guide gave it three out of four stars, saying it was exhilarating to watch. Entertainment Weekly's Owen Gleiberman wrote that the film is more imaginative than horror films made by major studios. Mm. And for the San Francisco Chronicle, Walter Adigo said that The Hills Have Eyes is the scariest movie he's ever seen, describing it in The Last House on the Left as, quote, a turning point in horror. Suddenly, earlier horror, like the Universal classics, Frankenstein, um, and Roger Corman Poe's films seem like weak tea. Mm-hmm. End quote. Mm-hmm. So I went that deep into the critic side because a lot of people consider this a turning point in the horror genre. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, the film was then turned into a franchise <laughs> that consists of four movies as well as a graphic novel and merchandise. Mm. Collectively, the movies grossed over $132 million at the box office. Wow. But before we pop back to Sonny Bean, there's other culture that The Hills Have Eyes has inspired. Mm. So the ripples continue. Yeah. 
So while watching The Hills Have Eyes, fellow horror director Sam Raimi noticed a ripped poster for Steven Spielberg's Jaws in a scene in the film. According to him, he, quote, took it to mean that Wes Craven was saying Jaws was just pop horror. What I have here is real horror, Mm. end quote. This inspired Raimi to include a ripped poster of The Hills Have Eyes in his mega successful film, The Evil Dead. And that was his way of telling Craven, no, this is the real horror. Wow. That's so, wild. Craven reacted to this by having Nancy Thompson fall asleep while watching The Evil Dead in his <laughs> film, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, dang. <laughs> And then Raimi responded to that by including Freddy Krueger's glove in the scene of Evil Dead 2. (laughs) So then in Scream, Craven had them uh, choose to watch a VHS of Halloween instead of choosing to watch a VHS of the Evil Dead. And then in the first in a first season episode of Raimi's TV show, Ash versus the Evil Dead, Kruger's glove can be seen and a poster of the Hills Have Eyes can be seen outside of a movie theater in an episode of the show's second season. So a fun little friendly rivalry. That's so cool. And then we have the video game Red Dead Redemption, mm. which is set in the Old West. It includes a side mission called American Appetites, where the main character investigates a series of disappearances of travelers near a fictional town of Armadillo. Hmm. At the end, the player finds out that the disappearances are the work of a cannibal serial killer that lives in the hills. And, you know, you may not be in the know on the video game industry, This game received critical acclaim for its visuals, music, performances, gameplay, and narrative. It won several year-end accolades, including Game of the Year, from several publications. It's considered by critics as one of the best video games ever made. Wow. It shipped around 23 million copies by 2021, making it one of the best-selling games of all time. And then... That moves us deeper into the ripples of Mm. Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm -hmm. And this one specifically contains a family of savage and barbaric cave dwellers. Wow. It broke records, had the second biggest launch in the history of entertainment, generating $725 million in sales from its opening weekend. Oh, Shit. And exceeding We're in the, the wrong lifetime business, Andrew. <laughs> yes. It exceeded the lifetime sales of Red Dead Redemption in two weeks. <gasps> oh my god, that's crazy. So critical acclaim, praise for its story, characters, open world, graphics, music, detail. Um, it won year in accolades, including Game of the Year awards, just like the first one. It's considered an example of video games as an art form, as well as one of the greatest video games ever made. And it's among the best-selling video games, over 46 million copies shipped. Wow. So massive ripple effects in the cultural landscape. That's wild. So people know this story without knowing where it came from. Mm Mm-hmm. Because even this well especially red dead one like two it's like much more closely sonny bean but like one was the hills have eyes Mm -hmm. (laughs) like this is still the hills have eyes ripple effects Mm -hmm. from the story that's so wild so looking at tv 
a 1996 episode of the X-Files called Home is an homage to both The Hills Have Eyes and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. Um, in music, the title and lyrics of The Weeknd's 2015 song The Hills references Craven's movie. Mm. And now for folks not in the know on the music industry, this song was huge. <laughs> it was a critical success, appearing on several year-end lists. In the singer's native Canada, the song peaked at number one. In the U.S., it reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100, replacing his own song, Can't Feel My Face. It was a top ten in the U.K., Ireland, Germany, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, in May of 2019, The Hills was certified diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America for selling more than 10 million copies, making it The weekend's first diamond certified hit. Mm. So, huge. Yeah. All of that, the hills have eyes. So taking a step back, another interesting area of pop culture that takes inspiration from Sonny Bean is the immensely popular Japanese comic and cartoon series Attack on Titan. Mm. So the series is set in a world where humanity is forced to live in cities surrounded by three enormous walls that protect them from gigantic man-eating humanoids referred to as titans. Mm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> At the end of the story, it's revealed that the Titans are named Sonny and Bean. <laughs> so starting with the Attack on Titan manga, uh, it has become a critical and commercial success. So as of September of this year, it has over 110 million copies in print worldwide. Wow. Making it one of the best-selling manga series of all time. Six of the seven English volumes published in North America uh, at the time charted on the New York Times manga bestseller list. The first of which was on the bestseller list for 81 weeks straight. In June 2015, the first volume clocked its 100th week on the top 10 chart, having sold over 2.5 million copies. It also holds the title for longest on the list now at 121 weeks mm, wow volume one was also number one on nielsen bookscans list of the top 20 graphic novels in american bookstores um, it's won several awards then there's an attack on titan tv show which had four seasons oh my and gosh. great success around the world there are attack of the titan spinoffs and novels. There was a live-action Japanese film in 2015. There are almost 20 Attack on Titan video games. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> so much so that Attack on Titan is referenced in other pop culture. So now the ripples here. It's been included in commercials for Subaru, Snickers, and coffee chains. Um, its characters have been referenced in The Simpsons, The Amazing World of Gumball, the Korean drama Surplus Princess, the Japanese rock star fashion brand Yoshikimono. Uh, before the start of San Diego Padres and LA Dodgers game in 2019, the Colossal Titan mascot made an appearance and performed the ceremonial first pitch. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, massive ripple effects. So then, back to Sonny Bean. <laughs> Staying in the realm of comics, in the Image comic series Hack Slash, the main character Vlad, a.k.a. the Meat Man Killer, 
is eventually revealed to be a descendant of Sonny Bean. Mm. This comic was supposed to be turned into a movie in 2008, but the project fell into development hell and will probably never happen. Mm-hmm. But that said, there have been two stage adaptations of this comic, 2005's play Hackslash Stage Fright and 2014's Hackslash. And Sean and McGuire has written and performed a song called Hackslash about the comic released on her 2015 album Creature Feature. Mm. Looking at novels, the 1990 book The Ballad of Sonny Bane uh, by Harry Tate was a kind of historiographic metafiction retelling of the legend. Uh, this one was so well received that in 1990 it was awarded the Saltier Society's Award for Scottish First Book of the Year. Mm. The novel Off Season by the late horror novelist Jack Ketchum was also inspired by Sonny Bean. A quick fun fact about this novel. Mm. <laughs> Once it was released, many well-known publications attacked its depictions of extreme violence. Mm-hmm. Critical reaction to it was so strong that the publisher stepped back from supporting the novel. Wow. So it had really strong sales, and the publisher decided to withdraw it from circulation after the first printing was sold. Huh. In 1999, it was picked up for republication by Cemetery Dance Publications. <laughs> <laughs> and they released a, a version that featured some of the gore that the publisher initially made Ketchum trim before the first publishing. So they released an even gorier wow. version. But wow. looking at other film connections, the first six films in the Wrong Turn horror series featured the infamous inbred cannibal family known as the Odette family. Mm. So while there's no direct mentions to Sonny Bean, many obvious similarities can be made between the families. Mm-hmm. The unsuccessful 1999 horror cannibal movie Ravenous, starring Guy Pierce and David Arquette, took oh. license from the Sonny Bean legend. I remember when that came out and thinking that it looked, I mean, you know, Guy Pierce, he just gives credibility to this stuff. Totally. And then especially thinking about the time, like, of course, David Arquette. <laughs> <laughs> so another successful film that takes inspiration, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and its subsequent sequels, which have grossed over $252 million at the worldwide box office. Um, the 2012 film Sonny Flesh of Man gives the story of Sonny Bean in a contemporary setting. Hmm. I couldn't find much on that one, but it does have a 19% audience approval <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so read into that what you will. Mm-hmm. Last in movies, there's 1995's Judge Dredd, starring Sylvester Stallone which introduces the Angel Gang, a family of cannibalistic scavenging cave dwellers that was inspired by our legend. Oh, wow. I totally, I mean, not like I could claim to remember much about that movie, but I totally don't remember the cannibal family at all. (laughs) That's wild. Uh, Reviewers criticized the film for its script and perceived lack of originality and faith to its source material, along with Sylvester Stallone's acting. I mean, the blue contacts. I I just couldn't get past the blue contacts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm shallow like that. (laughs) The film is considered to be one of Stallone's worst. But its visual style effects, music score, stunts, and action sequences were praised. 
It was nominated for four Saturn Awards. And it has Sandy in it, right? Does it? I believe so. Oh, I'll have to Google. I'm looking while you talk. Oh, and just, I, I, re- I referenced our reboot culture in Hollywood. A reboot film entitled Dread was released in 2012. Oh, yeah. And lastly, to finish out this extremely diverse pop culture convo, we move to Kirsten's favorite musical genre, death metal. (laughs) (laughs) The band Deeds of Flesh's 1998 album, Inbreeding and Anthropophagi, (laughs) has its main lyrical concept based on the legend of Sonny Bean. And that is where it ends. So a mighty pop culture legacy with some of the biggest franchises in entertainment and still somehow relatively small. (laughs) Yeah, it's contradictory in that way. And for the record, I looked it up. No, Sandy was not in it. The beautiful white woman who starred in this movie was Diane Lane. Ah, Diane Lane. Yes. It's time for her to have a renaissance. Oh my gosh, another renaissance. Yeah, she's amazing. Wow, that's... Yeah, can you believe? (laughs) No, because when we first started talking about this, I had it on a list that I keep, which if anyone found would make them think that I'm some kind of like deranged lunatic, a list of most foul things. (laughs) And when we talked about it, I was like, oh, this one seems really interesting, but I don't know if there's enough culture. And then, yeah, to to end here with it is very surprising. Yeah, I mean, Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2, which I'm sure will be TV shows or movies at some point. Right. And Attack on Titan. Right. So it's like not a ton of them, but... They're huge ones, which is mm-hmm. like the Harper Lee of pop cultural translations of terrible, terrible crimes. Yeah. And I think it is so funny that Wes Craven was looking up, quote, terrible things at the library. Right. And I, but I mean, so much of this, as I was researching this, I'm thinking, how does this propagate in a time before the web? Right. I mean, now it's easy to see how stuff spreads. It's very simple and it can often be traced back to an individual on Twitter or some such. But even in the 70s, how do you search terrible things? I mean, you have to go and you're looking, you're browsing the stacks or you're looking at what the fuck is it called? Like the Dewey Decimal System. Like Mm -hmm. what's the what's the Dewey Decimal number for? horrific historical crimes (laughs) i don't know i mean there probably is one but imagine like looking for a needle in a haystack in that kind of a way and then think even before in the time of broadsheets when that was how this Mm -hmm. was spread it's crazy and then to today when you and i are like let's brainstorm some episode ideas and we're like going to google and searching like terrible things i know i know The thing that interests me so much about this one is, again, and I know I'm beating a dead horse, but this idea that this scratches some primordial 
itch that people have for for just the worst, the very worst of humanity. And, you know, you mentioned Hansel and Gretel and, and like, the, you know, the old stories, even the ones that weren't framed as horror stories were still had elements of the horrific in them as mm-hmm. warnings and, ah, uh, man, just like reflective of this completely different time that was very brutal. Yeah. And it's, it's just so something fascinating something in there in our society it really is i mean i think also all human societies this seems like a human specific you know not to one culture or another although i'm sure there are cultures who are have less of this but i don't know and then as as you were talking about wes craven i went to his wiki page and looked him up and was surprised to find that he majored in English and psychology when he was an undergrad and his graduate degree is in philosophy. Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what his career would have been if they would have let him leave horror. Right. But also horror would not have been the same if he would have left horror. Imagine. I mean, who even, it's hard to even imagine what it would be. Like, how do you, where do you go from the Frankenstein era or like the silent movie Phantom of the Opera horror without this missing link that's not missing? But if it were, what would have come after? It's hard, it's hard to even imagine. Yeah. And then now we're in this like deeply psychological trauma explored through horror zone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it was then, too. We just didn't talk about things like that in the same way. I mean, Last House on the Left is about a woman who's raped and brutalized over a period of time. It's like, that's coming out of a trauma as well. But it's like the traumas are different and the way that we talk about them is different, you know? But I don't know. I really do think that perhaps this entire genre and maybe to include us. I mean, are we a true crime podcast or are we a horror podcast in, in the like anthropological sense? True. And it's all coming from the same place, which is the fucked up shit that people do to others. And it's a pop culture podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're all things. We're everything. We're the everything podcast. (laughs) From Christmas to cannibalism in 30 minutes or less. Well, maybe normally 30 minutes or more. 30 minutes or more. 50 minutes or less. 60 minutes or less. There once uh, was a cannibal from Galloway. We could make a limerick about this. Well, a slightly shorter episode, but very happy to dive yeah, into this one. This was really interesting. This one... This one, and I mean, so many of them, but every so often we get one that's just like, this is why we do this. It's so fucking interesting. At least that's what goes through my brain. Yeah. I love that we have a format that allows us to do new and current things and very old things. Yeah, me too. Because Sonny Bean... Our Bloody Mary journey that we went on originally. (laughs) Vlad Dracula, the Blood Countess. Like, 
there's something about the historical ones that are so interesting. And that DNA carries forward even into the more modern ones that we do, which is just incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Mm. Well, no more cannibals for a while. <laughs> yeah. Not until the new year, at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 